Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bull artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I'm the winner. But it was a draw. We missed you guys. I think Kenny actually missed me for the first time in 440 episodes of the Anik and Florian podcast. Sorry for the Tuesday start. It is Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. Episode 440 of the Anakin Florian Podcast presented by DraftKings. Blame Ken Flo for the non-Sunday Monday start. <laughs> it is my fault, dude. And, and yes, I did miss you. I feel like a lost puppy when, when I don't talk to you, man. If I don't hear your voice every week, uh, it definitely feels strange. But speaking of puppies, my man, uh, I, I saw the picture of your new dog. It is absolutely uh, the cutest thing I've ever seen. Uh, are, are you pumped about that? What's, what's going on? New dog in the Anik family. So for the first time in the near 450 episode history of the show, I'm starting the show out of breath and sweating a little bit. I'm always sweating, but out of breath is a new for the Anakin Florian podcast because I just brought this godforsaken puppy downstairs. She has thrice escaped my dining room setup. I think I'm just misjudging how skinny she is and these holes she probably can get through the actual baby gate at this point in time but yeah i'm watching this new puppy on a baby monitor we have our great babysitter coming here in 30 minutes but we have a lot to get to today but yes a burden has been added but more importantly a burden has been relieved as i texted you the photo with caption yesterday yeah it was so burdensome not having a puppy hearing my daughter tatum and all of my children suggest to me that all their friends have dogs or puppies and they don't have one so (laughs) That's been the relief. But yeah, we were up from like 3 to 5 a.m. last night and uh, oh. a little bit like having a newborn right now, Ken Flo. Uh, yeah, it's definitely very, very similar, man. And, and you had three kids that are hassling you nonstop. So that, right. that has ended. And uh, how much work are they going to put into to the dog? Uh, well, I mean, the question beckons, right? How much weight are they actually going to pull? Yeah. Uh, if they work half as hard as uh, as our next guest, then uh, I think they'll be just fine. And speaking of dogs, we got one on the line right now. Joining us just three days after the biggest win of his UFC career, UFC middleweight contender, Joe Pfeiffer. And we can certainly call you a contender now, given what transpired this weekend, my man. I know you're your harshest critic, but uh, congratulations on a big W. And uh, we appreciate a few minutes to be sure. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, sorry, my camera setup's not that great. I got to get a new phone. I scratched the lens. and. Uh, I had like a whole camera set up that I had my buddy come out here and set up, but I got a new PC. So, but uh, nonetheless, thanks for having me and uh, I'm excited to be on here. 
So is that for content you're going to be creating on your own? Is that what that all is for, I assume, or no? No, it was actually for like Twitch. I, I play Call of Duty a lot. So all right. uh, yeah, I've been trying to get a, get a nice setup. I've been working on... Uh, Look, I'll show you my my, my dirty. Yeah, stuff. please. But uh, I have I have a camera up here. I got my light. I have a. <laughs> I gotta get an actual like curtain holder. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I got two gaming PCs. So nice. um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get like a little setup. I, I think it's very important for me to like have my downtime and have like a little room for gaming and stuff. So. But I also no. have a sick interview room. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense as the uh, as the interview requests continue to uh, to come in and. Uh, so obviously a huge week for you, co-main event, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. And uh, I guess we just want to get your thoughts off the top. I mean, you get the bonus, you get to the brink of the top 15. I'd imagine now having some time removed, maybe you're more satisfied than you were in the uh, immediate aftermath or no? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm ecstatic because I got the bonus. You know, that's, that's the kind of fights I want. I want, I want to be like, man, like, we got to give this kid a bonus every time, you know, that, that's the fight style I want to have. Um, I think that's the fight style I brought, you know, first and foremost, I, I think I really went out there and I took it to him, you know, I wasn't afraid of his power. And I think I dominated him. So uh, I always pride myself that when I win, I don't just kind of edge out a win, I dominate people. So um, that's something I've always pride myself in. And I knew I was better than Abdul. Um, and I respected him a lot. I trained very hard. Uh, and, and unfortunately I did not have the best camp and I, I had a lot of nagging injuries. Um, and now he just busted up my calf. So <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that I made good money. Um, I don't really like my performance too much, but, uh, but yeah, I'm happy, man. I, and I had a lot of stress. I had a lot of things outside of this fight that, um, I don't normally let affect me, but yeah, they got to me this time and they were not fight related. Yeah, it, it can be tough, man, when uh, things outside of the cage get to you. But, you know, you have been dominant, man. I, I'm curious, in your opinion, I know you are, you know, your harshest critic, but uh, how much have we seen uh, of Joe Piper at this stage of, uh, stage of his career? Because sometimes, you know, the, the guy that you see in the training room is exactly what you see. Sometimes it's not quite what you see. Sometimes people rise to the occasion when it comes to competition. But you've been finishing guys left and right. Um, what haven't we seen from you so far? Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen we haven't seen me go against somebody that can stop my forward pressure and um, really put me in a bad situation. I guess you could say, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that you guys haven't seen, but you know, I've always prided myself in saying I've taken more beatings than I've ever given them, just from life and just from you know even physically. But uh, I mean, I train very hard, man. I train with some of the best grapplers and Sean Brady and and. and you know, Jonathan Webb's a great jiu-jitsu coach, and he's got some killers in there that I train with um, that you guys have never heard of, but they're, they're very, very high-level jiu-jitsu guys. So I think I'm a complete fighter, and that's something I tried to say leading into this is that Abdul's only chance against me unless somehow I failed up here was to, you know, knock me out. I, I just didn't see him possessing the skills to do anything that I couldn't handle. And um, I wasn't going to be surprised by anything he did. And even the calf kicks, like I wasn't surprised by anything. He threw a couple of them. They didn't do anything. It was just that one that hit that nerve and then I had to switch it up, you know, but, um, but yeah, man, I mean, I think there's a lot more that you guys can see from me. I'm just turned 27 years old and uh, I'm still finding that balance, you know, trying to make sure that I'm not overworking, um, but at the same time working very hard. And, and Joe, my, my other question is, um, 
you know, what has surprised you so far? You know, you've had a few fights here in the UFC. Is, has there been anything either uh, maybe on fight week or uh, during a fight that has surprised you that maybe you didn't really expect uh, heading into fighting in the UFC? No, um, I'm not surprised or shocked by anything. Um, you know, I, it's funny because every time I fight, you know, people go with this narrative that, oh, this is a big test. This is the next big thing. And that's always going to be the case. You know, that that's the whole point in climbing this ladder and doing this career is the next fight's always the biggest fight because you put the most on that. Um, you know, for me, I was like, I'm renegotiating this fight. I'm, I'm a co-main event. Like, I didn't care that I was a co-main event or anything. Like, I'm, I'm good with that stuff. Like, that's not where I get pressure from. I get pressure from myself within. Um, and, uh, you know, I've done a really good job, like I said afterwards, like, of just making things small, um, even though they're big, you know, making them small and not making them bigger than they are. Because at the end of the day, the, the lights, the music, the all that shit, it, it's, it's all extra it's all to dress it up to make it entertainment. And, uh, at the end of the day, it was me, Abdul and a referee and, and John yeah. Danaher said it best. And, and that's what brought me to the right mental state, even though I was struggling all week. Like I didn't want to be in Vegas. I didn't feel like fighting, um, until I got to the arena and then this like warm wave came over me. And, you know, I know that I'm a dog and, uh, I say that in a way where it's like, I can, I can flip the switch and, and it came so close to not being able to, but I flipped the switch the second, you know, I seen him dancing and just the arrogance and, you know, I just, no man's ever going to walk over me and take everything I've been working my whole life for. So bring that shit. That's how I felt. UFC middleweight contender Joe Pfeiffer with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Yeah, born September 17th, 1996. You definitely speak and fight, I think, and carry yourself with a wisdom that belies those 27 years. I think part of that rooted in the mixed martial arts experience, the life experience. But at 27, have you not already changed your life through fighting? I mean, certainly there are people like me as an MMA fan, granted, maybe a high profile one at that, but I'm off this past weekend and I'm telling my twin brother, I want to make sure I watch Joe Pfeiffer fight a lot, right? I didn't watch that whole card bell to bell and I did later. Um, so have you not already changed your life through fighting at 27 years of age? No, I have, you know, I've, I, I have, but I think, I think being the fighter, the active fighter and being in the UFC, I think it's, you know, it's hard to admit it to yourself out loud because it's, it, you get comfortable, you can't help it. And, and and then it's like, Oh, well, you know, I'm in the UFC. I can't lose. You start allowing yourself to say, well, I'm not really losing. If I lost, like I'm one of the best in the world. To, and it's like, nah, man, like at the end of the day, I'm very realistic. I'm very respectful of my position. Um, and I haven't beat the who's who. There's some bad dudes. There's some scary matchups. There's some hard fights for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've changed my life financially in a, in a tiny, tiny way. You guys got to remember I'm on a base contract still, which sure. I know that's about to change. Um, but that's why I called my shot. It's like, yo, like, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far into my career where it's like, I'm fighting the best in the world and I'm not making anything for it. Like, I, I, I hate to say, let's just throw out a number like 50 grand is not a lot of money. When you make 50 grand, I still live in a condo. I still haven't bought a house. I, you know, I, I don't really have anything that is everlasting that I can build off of right now. So right. that's, that's, so have I changed my life? Yes. Um, as far as my last name, as far as my lineage, as far as my Pfeiffer name being the fifth, Joseph Oliver Pfeiffer, the fifth, I've definitely changed my life. But as far as financially, I haven't even scratched the surface. And uh, as far as potential in my career, as far as skills, 
guys, I'm always hurt, man. I don't know what the frick it is, yeah. but like since I broke my arm on the contender, I'm always hurt. And I mean like hurt where it's like I almost pulled out of this fight. That's how bagged up I was. And yeah. you know, you guys couldn't tell, but um yeah, I mean, so no, I have changed my life, but I haven't yeah. changed it the way I want to change my life yet so well certainly in terms of the potential and all the avenues i think to financial freedom there are a lot of those and not just the three or four times you're able to compete i think during the year or i guess god willing with the durability maybe two or three times a year i want to stay on that though because it's not as though you aren't inherently durable right it's just maybe bad luck or injuries prop up i've said repeatedly sean o'malley he may already have financial freedom but i think the biggest obstacle for him is going to be staying healthy right he's gotten hurt two or three times in fights already. We were told that in this Aljamain Sterling fight, had he got taken down one time, that maybe the fight was going to be over. So it seems like already mentally you're having to navigate how to push yourself, how to pull back, and uh, how is that navigation going? Yeah, it's going good. You know, I mean, one of the things that happened was I threw a teep kick and I split all three of my toes. And you, you could see the bone. So I split all of my toes straight across as I threw a teep kick and I hit somebody's elbow shit happens you know what i mean like um so then I, I could only box i couldn't wrestle i couldn't do jujitsu because i couldn't bend my toes um and i kept super going i kept coming off super going kept coming off and then i'm worried about getting an infection well what do you know i go and i get i get mercy on my bicep and i got it on my forearm at the same time i get on antibiotics that shit didn't work i had to get on another set of antibiotics and it was just like and then i got sick after i got off of it so this was all like two weeks before and I was like, man, like, what the fuck? Like, there's always, there's always some, but you know what? There's always some tests. There's always some trial. Um, and the way I've figured out how my life works is there's always something that sees how bad I want it. There's always life that tests me to find out how bad I want it. And, you know, I either jump that hurdle or, you know, I get ran over by it. So, um, like I said, the reason this fight stayed together is because I knew I was that much better than he was. And I knew he was probably going to underestimate how strong I am when I get a hold of you. So, and how hard I actually hit. Um, I'm a little disappointed I didn't knock him out because that's what I wanted to do. Um, but he did a good job in listening in the second round and going back to the cap kick. And it just happened to hit the nerve. And I was like, fuck this. I'm taking that. I knew I could submit him, but, you know, I wanted to knock out. And I was just like, all right, screw it. This is fun. You no did more. knock him out. It was just a choke. Yeah. Well, I, so I knew I could knock him out. I was just going to I was just gonna stay pressure on him the whole time. And then once he right. kicked my nerve, I was like, all right, I know I can submit him. So I'm like, fuck this. We're gonna, we're, I'm putting him out. It's over. <laughs> so it seems as though you have a healthy appetite for doing these grappling competitions as yeah. well. Yeah, I want to do one again, man. I, I You know, it's, it's good for me. I, 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 I don't know what my limit is, right? I know I can beat black belts. I'm not a black belt. I'm a brown belt. I've been a purple belt since I was like 18. So all these guys think I'm a striker, but I started out doing jujitsu. So I think it's funny because when you get on the ground with me, I, I'm a I'm a hell of a grappler in, in a lot of ways. And I always talk about Sean Brady submitting me, but until you wrestle Sean Brady, you understand yeah. that he's not a normal right. person. Uh, and just his, <laughs> he's not normal. I'm telling you, you know. Uh, I asked Paul Felder, so it's just uh, yeah, it's it's different. So I do very well. I don't I don't you know I train with some high level black belts and. Uh, I, I beat a lot of them. So, yeah, I mean, I like doing it. You know, I like staying, I like staying in it and, and figuring yeah. out how good I am. So, yeah. And just that one on one. <laughs> well, right. And I think we're all anxious to find out. And that's part of the reason you're all hearing from the great Joe Pfeiffer here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So, uh, a few other fight questions, but 
in a non-fighting sense, I know you already do some commentary. To what extent are you watching this middleweight division and watching the UFC on a regular basis? And to what extent would you actually like to potentially increasingly be a talking head when you're not fighting? I would love to be a talking head. You know, I think uh, I think that's something that I've developed, you know, always knowing that I was going to be in this position. I've done a good job. <clears throat> I do it a little bit more informal um, when I'm doing things where I'm allowed to curse and, and whatnot, just because I want to keep that raw emotion there, like how I yeah. actually feel. So I don't have to be censored and things like that. But, you know, I, I know I could step into a role of commentary. I've been watching UFC. I told Dana White in the back, I've been watching this since three or UFC three or four. You know, um, when Ken Shamrock was out there killing it and he was my favorite. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I watch this religiously every weekend. It's, it's the only thing I've literally never drawn away from. So I'm very familiar with our middleweight division and, uh, I'm aware of almost everybody in it and, uh, you know, I'm proud to be in it and I'm proud to say that I'm one of the best in the world in this division. And, um, you know. I like a lot of the guys in there, so uh, I respect them. I'm a fan just as much as I'm a fighter. That's the only thing that sucks is like some guys I don't want to fight because I like them, you know? Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Uh, so, and uh, I am somebody that won't fight my friends type deal. So, yeah. There's some matchups. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I'm yeah. not going to fight certain people. Yeah. Well, you kind of had a soft spot for Gerald Merchart and you fucking beat him twice. So, yeah. Well, I didn't like Gerald Merchart. Let's be at honest. First, like, right? I did but, not. I, yeah. Until afterwards. I, yeah. But there was something about his face. I didn't like him. I didn't, <laughs> right. like the, I didn't like how everybody kept saying, he just looks like he's asleep even when he's awake. It was just like, it pissed me off. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, I wanted to grapple him because I just wanted to like, I don't know. I felt like he still had this thought in his head that he could still beat me in grappling had it hit the ground. And I felt like wow. fans thought that too. And I was like, so I DM'd him. Huh. And they gave me they gave me Charles Rackey, right? Who's in the UFC now? And I didn't want to go against Charles. I'm like, he's a 70 pounder. I'm not saying he's not good, but sure, I, I wanted Gerald. Like that's what I asked for. And then they couldn't get it. And um, and then he hurt his back or something. He had a medical issue. And uh, luckily, I got to grapple Gerald again. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I knew I was better than Gerald the whole way around. And I seen sure. all these people like talking shit. I'm like, you guys don't know that I've been yeah. doing this my whole life. I'm doing this longer than Gerald has. Like that's a fact. Yeah. So. Well, I know Kenny loves hearing you just talk about even just that matchup. Like you want the higher upside matchup. You don't want to fight a welterweight, right? Like when Kenny was in a legend BJJ competition, it was Vitor Shaolin Ribeiro, right? He wanted to be the underdog in that setting. In terms of your next matchup, now that you have gotten through, and let us not understate, you know, the... The challenge that is Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, he's knocked off a lot of heads in the UFC. So congratulations on that. But Paul Craig was a name that you uttered. He has a main event against Brendan Allen coming up on November 18th. So I think one thing working for you is that you have a name, even if you're dismissive now of me saying that, you have a name, I think, that would resonate with guys in the top 15. How realistic is it that you get Paul Craig or somebody of that ilk in your next meeting before the end of the year or early 2024? Well, I got to get stem cells. I got to heal some injuries. I'm not rushing my career. I'm not, yeah. I'm not one of these guys that's like, first of all, I'm a big kid. I can't make the fucking weight. So you're not going to force me. Nobody's going to force me to be like, turn around and fight, turn around and fight. Turn. It's not going to happen, dude. Like I, it's just, I can't, I physically can't like, so right. um, I almost fucking die making this weight all the time. So I'm, I'm just not doing right. it. And, right. I, and it's traumatizing for me. So I don't want to fucking do it that often. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's very realistic. You know, I, I got respect for Paul Craig. I, I do. Um, but you know, I don't think he's that good. Um, and I think he's got a big name. So that's, that's why I'm interested. Um, I know Brendan Allen is fighting him obviously. So we'll see how that goes. 
I do believe Brandon's going to kind of make it look easy. I, I just, he's another one. He reminds me of Gerald Mearshart. That's, that's why I like that fight. Um, yeah. I think I would absolutely bully the shit out of him. And uh, I think I would get a yeah. nasty, nasty knockout that would put me on the map. So, yeah. Um, and, and I like it. You know what I mean? He also has a really good threat. Like, I know that if I shot the shot that I shot on Abdul, he's very good and he's good enough that he could probably, like, sense something up, you know? Um, they're, they're, I don't think, like, when I look at, like, Gerald and I look at Paul Craig, they're, they're not UFC title contenders. Like, they'll never win a belt, in my opinion. But they're good enough to beat guys they're not supposed to because they're very good at certain things. So, um, you know, I'm very aware of that. And, and you know, Anybody can get knocked out, so I would look like a total dickhead if I got slept. But I just don't. I, he's another one of these things where I'm so good at my range, I think, and I like. I think Abdul hit me one time with a like a a, a a very light right hand as I was circling off the cage. Otherwise, I don't think I get hit in the face at all. So yeah, um, and Abdul is he was a tough challenge, you know what I mean? So, but I do think I can get that fight. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I really do want that fight. I, I was hoping they were going to have the AC card then. As I was like plotting to call out Paul Craig after my fight, he got announced with Brendan, and I I told Brendan I hated him for it. So, <laughs> huh. well, we'll see what happens. I think Atlantic City maybe in the not too distant future, but a lot of punchable faces for you in the UFC middleweight division. Joe Pfeiffer on Instagram, you can find him at Joe Pfeiffer. One thing I do like to do to support select athletes is buy merchandise. I mean, if somebody wants to buy a B Joe Pfeiffer T-shirt, like please tell me they can fucking do that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I work with a company, uh, an investment group, uh, Disruptive with Alex Davis, and uh, they just put together a website for me. Um, the link is in my bio and my Instagram. Um, so you can click that. And there are B. Joe Pfeiffer shirts and, you know, Pfeiffer gear. So it's a Good. brand new website. We're going to make it better. It's already got the hoodies. I would say the hoodies are really banging. Um, the T-shirts, I would get a size up because uh, they gave me a large and I was like stretching the shit. So I don't know. I yeah. didn't get that fat yet, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. The links in my bio and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm still, still got that poor kid mentality and, you know, I want to buy a house one day and, uh, I want to live like an old man. I don't, I don't go out and party. <laughs> I, you know, I did what I want. Well, I'm fucking ate pizza. There you go. Hey <laughs> man, I scheduled a flight for later. Cause I, there's no way I could deal with the pain with my legs throbbing like that. So yeah, it's not <laughs> having any, that's my celebration. Go home and eat pizza. <laughs> Well, get healthy, uh, get a little bit fat, enjoy the rest of the year, and uh, no, we very we much yoked up, dog. Come on, we ain't getting fat. <laughs> don't get fat. Don't get fat. Enjoy the rest of the year, brother. We very much appreciate the time. I know you're a man in demand, and uh, we look forward to the encore in 2024. Whenever you're healthy, brother. That's Thank a good you. Good ass saying. Thank you. <laughs> there he is, Thanks, Joe. at Joe Piper on Instagram. J O E P Y F E R. Kid's got his head on straight, man. I mean, yeah. Ken Flo was 20 when he was born, so that's working in his favor. It's crazy, man. You know, I, I think what I like best is I get the sense, and this is kind of my attitude, I guess, when I was fighting, is I get the sense that he's in there to see how good he is. Like, he's in there to genuinely test himself and wait for those right matchups that he feels he's ready for at his stage of his career. And it's always, you know, um, a, a challenge. That's what he wants. He's trying to see how damn good he can truly be and you can see in his work ethic and his performances, man. He's uh, He definitely seems very focused, man. And every career is different in terms of how you navigate certain things. Just take the weight cut. And I'm sure you're sort of, when he says traumatic, you know, we're both sort of <laughs> laughing a little bit, but understanding at least you are acutely what that trauma is all about. 
Uh, but he's not the type of guy who's going to be able to fight more than two or three times a year because he's going to have to get his body optimally prepared to get through the fight before the fight, be healthy. Dude, being aware of that, I think, is so huge. You know, for some fighters, sometimes uh, they lack the awareness of how damn tough that weight cut is, and they're just going to keep fighting consistently. But when you realize it's going to diminish, uh, you know, something from you long term, uh, then, you know, you kind of have to put the brakes on it. And it seems like Piper is fully aware of that. He's got a lot of different ways to get you out of there. He was a huge favorite and uh, held serve as such. So we congratulate and appreciate uh, Joe Pfeiffer. And in terms of the nickname, right, <clears throat> it's Joe Body Bags Pfeiffer. And I'm sure <clears throat> if you go to his Instagram page, there's Body Bags gear as well. But were he ever to have Bruce Buffer introduce him as B. Joe Pfeiffer, I think the place would go mad. So, uh, yeah, it's tough. Like, what's your nickname, B? Well, my nickname's Body Bags, but when I have Bruce Buffer introduce me, I just go with B. Joe Pfeiffer because Dana White said it and it has been uh, branded into eternity. All right. How about Bobby King Green over Grant Dawson, Kenny? How'd you have it? Green by knockout at 33 seconds around one or no? I, I wish I did. I wish I did. I did not see it coming. Certainly um, not in that manner. You know, we all know about Bobby Green. And, and I said, listen, if. Um, if he, if Grant wasn't able to take down Bobby, then he was going to be in trouble. Now, um, we never really even got to that point. It seemed like it was just kind of a, uh, what, it was a left hand? It was a cross right down the middle, and it didn't seem like it had too much on it. I just don't think Grant saw it coming, and he just folded him like fresh laundry, man. Uh, and he kind of went into that fetal position. Bobby Green is not going to forgive from that position. Uh, followed up with some ground and pound and uh, got Grant Dawson out of there. Um, to me, I, I just don't think we saw much of a fight. Um, but again, huge result for Bobby Green. Uh, great to see that. Um, he's a guy that is always going to be dangerous. Uh, and perhaps now he seems focused and has some momentum now as he starts to maybe climb up those rankings. But I think that was a huge spot for Bobby Green and quite the disappointment, unfortunately, for Grant Dawson, who had his first main event. He was coming in here, sounded like he was, you know, in, in great spirits, had a great training camp and got caught with that shot by Bobby Green. And uh, it was all over pretty quickly then. If memory serves at one point, <clears throat> excuse me, in our fighter meeting, Bobby Green suggested that he wanted to buy a house for each of his three kids. And I think he has already accomplished that. And uh, he's on his way to making some serious money. He is in lightweight title contention. We could do a quarter of an hour just in terms of career retrospective, career appreciation for Bobby Green. There was a time when he had a lot of red stripes on his Wikipedia page. You never fancied him as this UFC headliner. Obviously, he stepped up in big spots for the UFC. Chief among them against Islam Akashev, he has had a lot of huge wins and getting this one as such a big underdog and being the first to beat Grant Dawson in the UFC like this to take his O professionally is absolutely huge. But there's a lot to unpack on the Grant Dawson side, I think, even though there's not a lot of footage here. And that's why we are going to talk to his head coach, Mike Brown, here coming up in about 35 minutes. What do you say about Grant Dawson other than the fact that he did not see the shot coming, right? I know on our Anakin Florian podcast text chain, there's conversations about his chin. And yeah. uh, oftentimes when we get shortchanged by a main event, it is not our intention to at all take away from the winner, Bobby Green. But what do you make of the Grant Dawson side? Because he's sort of minimizing this as a setback. You know, I'm big on this being a two-year setback. Uh what do you have for me on the Grant Dawson side other than the fact that clearly he did not see the shot coming? Yeah, listen, I, I think that, um, 
you know, this is most certainly going to push him back significantly. He's in a division uh, with a bunch of killers. Uh, this division is loaded with talent, loaded with skill. Um, and if, if you're if you're failing in a position like that, and this is no disrespect against Bobby Green because he is very very dangerous, but I'm not sure I would qualify him at this stage from what I've seen as elite. So I think that if you're not getting by the guys like a Bobby Green, then it, it probably means that you're just not ready for that spot. You're certainly not ready to really. Uh, deal with the great the great fighters in the top 15. So it means he's got to go back to the drawing board, build up his skills, figure out a way of trying to nullify that backhand of his opponents and being comfortable in that boxing range. Because we, we all know, hey, Grant gets you on the ground. He could do some great things there. No question about it. He can outposition. You can take the back very well. All those things. But the fight starts on the feet. You yeah. have to know how to deal with punches. You got to know how to set up punches properly. And I think he, I don't know, he was telegraphing that shot. Bobby Green got out of the way, landed his shot, and just Grant just never expected it. So to me, it shows he has a long way to go when it comes to the striking aspect of the sport. I think you put that well. However, unfortunately, maybe for the Grant Dawson corner or camp to hear. Now, he is still fully of the belief that he is going to be a world champion. And confidence and self-belief are very powerful things. And I have no doubt in terms of the desire and the commitment that all of the right work will be done. And this is not a career referendum on Grant Dawson. But yeah. right, this was the test at this point in time that not just the betting public, but you know, most of the MMA world expected him to pass and to not pass it with flying colors like this in a 33 second loss is a really, really difficult thing. And I think the build back is certainly something that bears watching for, for Grant Dawson. Um, but you know, there are a lot of analogies in terms of like the confidence and, you know, we've talked about it on my podcast with my twin brother, Annex squared about Zach Wilson, New York jets quarterback. Like, does he want to be there? You know? And some people were wondering at the end of this fight, like, did Grant Dawson want to be there? Like, they didn't necessarily see the urgency and the desperation after that left hand. And I can't necessarily sit here and be critical as far as that part of the fight is concerned because I'm not a fighter. Um, but there is going to be that criticism for Grant Dawson to address based upon the way that fight ended as well. Thank you for bringing that up because um, I think that's very important to talk about as well. You know, this isn't Grant Dawson's first fight. This isn't him in the Ultimate Fighter One finale, where you you know you get overwhelmed and you cover up, and then you realize you're bleeding, and then by the time you you're trying to get back into the fight, they're stopping the fight. And to see him kind of ball up like that after eating that shot, it wasn't quite the response that I expected from someone like Grant Dawson at this stage of his career. Um, he's had a bunch of fights in the UFC already. Um, so I, I think that, you know, they, they say the true, the true test of a fighter is when things aren't going well for them. And we never saw him even attempt to really battle back from that. And I think that's, what's a little concerning and that, and the fact that he was dropped on the chin with that shot, which to me, yeah. again, I was not in there eating that shot, so I can't say with 100% confidence, but it didn't seem like a big shot. And the fact that he was dropped so quickly and the response that followed wasn't a great sign. And, and that's where, you know, I think as a fighter, you need some of that awareness of, okay, why did that happen? 
first of all, from a technical standpoint and from a mental, spiritual standpoint, why did I react like that? Was I yeah. genuinely messed up? Was I actually there? Or did I fall to the pressure of that moment? And I think that's a question that only Grant Dawson to come up with. And it's, hey, great. Believe you're going to be a world champion. Tell everybody you're going to be a world champion. Believe it. Put that work ethic in. But you also have to be realistic. What are your results telling you? Yeah. I think that that's something. There is this kind of yeah. – there's the inner part of it and there's the outer part of it as what is reality actually dictating to you. Mm. Knowing Grant Dawson the way I do, I believe that if there were a similar circumstance in his next fight that you would see that desperation, you know? But like, you know, you could run into somebody like Dan Hooker and – you're going to have to kill a man right before you get him out of that octagon. Right. So we'll see where Grant Dawson goes from here. Sometimes talking heads are criticized for the notion that we anoint guys. And I don't know that there was any anointing of Grant Dawson. We put him on the Anakin Florian podcast. I certainly believed in him based upon results, based upon his last performance against Demir Ismagulov. And again, not a lot of fight footage here. Um, but Bobby Green's the one who spins this forward to the positive, number 13 in the world coming in, Ken Flo, and uh, he's the guy who wants the Dan Hooker fight. I think he maybe even wants it before the end of the year, but dude, what else can you say about a guy who competed during your era that Bobby King Green is still getting it done and headlining for the UFC and uh, getting all the fruits that come with it, man? It's extremely impressive, man, and, and to see him... You know, at least take a different approach than maybe he's he's had before. I, I think that he's being more realistic with what he's about and what he brings to the octagon each time. And I think that has helped him focus and, and kind of buoy his spirits a little bit. And we're seeing this resurgence because of it. And, and it's great to see guys that have been around for that long to to see where he has come from and to see where he is at now. It's always a great story, man. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I think that we all kind of underestimated him uh, a little bit. And uh, even his, his fight against Tony Ferguson, you know, I know I kind of um, maybe downplayed his ground skills a bit. But the fact that he got a submission win over Tony Ferguson is no joke, dude. So yeah. he's clearly working on his game. He's focused on being a better fighter. And uh, we're seeing some great results because of it. Very happy for Bobby King Green, who I believe has officially changed his name to King Green. So we have not gone with that on the air, but he is actually King Green, I believe, on his uh, California driver's license, if I'm not mistaken. All right, plenty more where that came from coming up in 60 seconds. But just want to let you know the NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that is even stronger. You bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings is not stopping there, folks. All customers, new or otherwise, can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Week six of the NFL season nearly here. A lot of close games on paper this week, by the way. Bengals and Joey Burrow trying to keep it going. They're two and a half point favorites. Home to Seattle. Lions look like NFC contenders. We'll see how they fare. Three and a half point road faves at Tampa Bay. The Bucks coming off the bye week, so be mindful of that. A lot of ways you can attack the board, and you can get in on the game day greatness right now. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code AFPOD. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code AFPOD. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please, please play responsibly. 
on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget, Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let us get to the star of the show, Ray Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip smell routine or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. Sound the trumpets, ladies and gentlemen. It is horse racing time, so saddle up for action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. So right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. All you need to do, deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app, not now, but right now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code FLOW, F-L-O, only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on a first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DKHorse.com. My man. Look at you. What am I going with you? Holy crap, my hair's all out of place. Hey, Kenny knocking it out of the park again on Bobby Green. I couldn't agree with you more. He's Thanks, one man. guy that knows exactly what he's doing right now. I think he has a great time, very talented. I would have even given him the Fazeev fight. I thought he fought Fazeev beautifully that, that time. And uh, he's got his own style, man. He's, he's, he's 100% a tough out. And, like, again, I think he's – making some money. He's enjoying himself at 38 years old. I think he reinvented himself. Uh, like Kenny says, I just think he's in a good spot. Win or lose, he's going to push on. And I don't think he's an easy out for anybody. Your hair is not an easy out for your barber. What is going on? <laughs> what is going What's going on with my hair? No, it looks. So you get your hip replaced. Does that mean what? you don't keep up with any sort of grooming or hygiene? What are we doing? <laughs> I, I couldn't even I couldn't even sit in a chair up until two weeks ago. All right. So what's the update on uh, this week? What's the update on the hip? I'm just messing with you. Just having a little fun feel, on a uh, I feel, Tuesday. I feel good. Yeah. I'm actually. Yeah. yeah what are we doing Tuesday? What happened now? That's Ken. Blame Ken Flo. That's Kenny. My fault. It is. My I mean, fault. these poor, poor guys are fucking starving for content. And we just <laughs> taught you. We taught you. 
That's Whether people know. like me or don't, I am a man of veracity. So when I suggest this to you people, I hope you take it as nothing but the truth. When we do the podcast schedule, the number one priority is Ken Flo, followed closely by Ray Longo. Period. Kenny fought for the UFC okay. World Championship mm-hmm. three times. Um, I've never been in a fight. Second in my life. place. <laughs> so second, second place. So it's it, wait, wait. It's Ken Flo and me. Yeah, but Kenny had a conflict. So we're here on a Tuesday. Yeah. In all it's our like glory. That old joke, Kenny. Knock, knock. Who's there? Second place. Who? <laughs> so there's so much to un- there's so much to sort of unpack with you on this main event, even though it was only 33 seconds. We can all sit here and marvel at Bobby Green as a massive betting underdog taking Grant Dawson's O like this. We're going to talk to Mike Brown, Grant Dawson's coach, here in about 25 minutes. What are your thoughts on a fighter now like Grant Dawson as he tries to rebuild? No, I think it's. I think he's going to grow from that loss. Uh, you know, things were going his way, and uh, up until that fight, I, look, he got caught with one punch by a by a, by a tricky fighter, Bobby Green. Yeah. Is really, he's a really good. He's a really good striker with his own style that he he's molded into now. He's very comfortable with. Um, he doesn't mind getting hit to hit you. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think Grant Dawson grows from this, and and he, I I don't think it's a like a a major step back. I mean, it's a, it's obviously it's a it's a step back, but I think the adversity and going through this is going to help me. He's, he's a smart fighter, Grant Dawson. I think it's going to be one little blip in the radar, but uh, he got caught, man. You know that that's just part of the game, man. You're not getting out of this game without a couple of losses here and there. And one of, you know, a loss, one or two losses doesn't define a champion. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. he could always come back from that. So th- this sport is crazy. It's not like boxing. And I don't know if you guys were listening to Bernard Hopkins on Rogan, but, you know, boxing, if you had one loss, you were almost considered, that's what Bernard Hopkins said. He lost his first fight. Then he rang up 10 wins, I think. I think this is what he was saying. But even at 10 and one, they didn't even take him serious. You know, if you're ten and one in the UFC, that's a huge accomplishment. Oh yeah, you know because you're not getting fed fighters. You're fighting whoever the hell they throw in front of you. Things are going to be tough. It's a totally different model. Back in the day, uh, boxing man, your first sixteen, seventeen fights could be against all technically tomato cans, and then they would try to build you slowly, test you here and there. But man, you get thrown into the frying pan in the UFC right away. I think that's the way Dana likes it. And yeah. you know, I think he found a recipe for it. And I think, you know, people appreciate it. But it's no easy time in the UFC. You're not getting a chance to pick your fights. Every so often, you know, they maneuver a guy here and there. But for the most part, man, those fights are tough. Like if I'm Grant Dawson, I'm trying to get back in there as soon as humanly possible. Now, there may be no frying pan in the whole UFC as hot as the UFC's lightweight division, Ray. You see what I did there? But I just feel like his next fight is going to be an absolute killer in the top 18, if not top 15, right? right? I mean, so I just, if I'm Grant Dawson, I'm trying to flip the page on this thing. I don't know that he was concussed, but I'm trying to flip the page on this thing as soon as humanly possible. Uh, but he got hit with one shot, right? Did he get hit after that at all? I, th- couple I think shots on the ground. Yeah, know. he's fine. I oh, think did so. he take a couple of shots on the ground? Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes it, it helps when it's that quick because you can move on. You know, it wasn't like a lengthy 15-minute back-and-forth beating where those those fights are hard to come back from. Your body just gets annihilated. So he, I, th- I think uh, – 
I think he's with a good camp and he'll make the, uh, I think he'll make the adjustments and come back. So I'd like to get to a few other things from UFC fight night, Dawson versus green. And then I just wanted to talk about a couple of your local guys, because there have been some recent results, even over the last two or three weeks that we haven't necessarily gotten to uh, with you, even friend of the program, Justin Montalvo kid, marvelous. I want to talk about that over the weekend. Some other yeah, things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. but yeah. in terms of this UFC fight night, whether it was Joe Pfeiffer or Joaquin Buckley, Drew Dober, Moving out of that tie with Dustin Poirier is the most decorated knockout artist in UFC lightweight history. Bill Algio, Cannonball, coming at 145 pounds. Excuse me. Uh, any major takeaways from fight night before we uh, move on to your locals? Man, you could talk about any one of those guys you mentioned. Bill Algio was a Bill Algio and, and Joe Pfeiffer were guys on the local circuit, so I got to see those guys a lot before they made it to the UFC, and they were crushing it on the local circuit. And I'm glad to see them doing good. In the UFC, um, Doba, happy as hell for that guy. What a just a nice guy bouncing back from the Frivola loss with a performance like that. Uh, hats off to him. Uh, who else did you mention in there? We covered three. Um, I, don't I know. mentioned I New Mansa, Joaquin Buckley over Alex Morono. Pretty clean, unanimous decision there. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. that's good. I got a lot to get to with you, so we don't mean to shortchange that card. Your bonus winners, Bobby Green, Joe Pfeiffer, whom you just heard from, uh, Drew Dober, and Nate Maness or Manis. Apologize there. All right. I also have some Rob Dwellish Willie stuff coming up, Ray, so don't think Ooh, you get coffee today, you know? You exercising? <laughs> what are you doing? So you walking around? You I, using a cane? I'm, What's going on? I'm I'm getting, I'll tell you, today's going to be the first day after the podcast. I'm going to the gym. I'm getting a workout. Nice. That's breaking news, you know, huh? So, MMAfighting.com, yeah, MMA junkie, you hear that? <laughs> it's going to be a modified workout, but I'm going to actually try to hit and hold the pants today for the first time. Hey. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm, I'm actually excited for that. Let's go. And I then bet tomorrow you're I got, I got the follow. Yeah, I got tomorrow. I got the follow up with the doctor. At HSS, and uh, hopefully he just cuts me loose and lets me do whatever the hell I want to do. That's what I'm hoping for. I know that going into UFC 292 with Chris Weidman and Aljamain Sterling, this all was weighing heavily on you. The trip to Vegas, of course, for the Contender Series a few days prior. I bet if I would have told you then, just get me to October 10th, you would have taken that every day of the week. So here you are. You're out the other side, and uh, we're excited to see you healthy, obviously. So. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It was way tougher than I thought. <laughs> all right. But it's all good. I feel really, really good. Go ahead. What do we Bellator got? 300 over the weekend. Kenny and I did not ingest this fight card. Kenny, you didn't see this, did you? I did not. Kempler's got a bunch of young kids and everything else. You know, I got a fucking <laughs> puppy over the goddamn weekend. So Justin oh, Montalvo. Nice. Yeah, we know you like dogs. Your dog has not uh, mm-hmm. sabotaged our show in months. <laughs> yeah, I know. She's locked up right now because she's a nice. She's a she's horrible. But uh, guys, Bellator three hundred with Justin. Yeah. Justin Montalvo, uh, uh, kid, marvelous good. friend of the show, uh, goes down by unanimous decision. You know, really unfortunate circumstances. I think anyway. I'm not making excuses, but you know, it's funny when that he was the uh, second fight before the main card. And I'm looking at the number of fights, and I, I call Steve Lee. I go, anybody talk to you about they're going to have this fight after the main event? And he goes, oh, oh you know, don't do this to me. You, fu-. you know, he thinks I'm fucking with him. I go, dude, there's like six fights to go. There's an hour before the main card. Like, they, 
they're going to have to do it. Because, yeah, I've been around along when they used to have those swing bouts. I've been involved in a bunch of those, you know, where you don't even know when you're going to fight. At the beginning of the main card, in the middle, or after the, the main event. That's right. the way it used to be. Right. Wherever they had the programming, you know, now they got the programming down, I think, so tight that this should never happen, right? They have everything scheduled, but for whatever reason. So then uh, they came in and told him, you know, he was already warmed up, and then he had to wait another two and a half hours or two hours or whatever. And, you know, I talked to him the other day, just said, man, I just, first round, it was just like, cramped up and cold and man he just it was like the worst first round i've ever seen out of it just wasn't him and then you could see as the fight went on by the third round it looked like he was almost even going to take the guy out he just woke up and started fighting but if he would have started sooner he 100 percent wins that fight i think anybody who saw the fight you could see in the third round when he started to do what he's supposed to be doing the other guy had no answers for it Kenny, obviously you can speak to this whole post-limb scenario. There's just no excuse for this in 2023 yeah, without a doubt. to have a prelim fighter, you know, being sort of warm up and don't all that bullshit. I mean, are you serious? Like you're effectively blowing my mind right now. Kenny, you were involved in this like 20 years ago, right? I mean, oh, you're on mute. Sorry. Uh, when, when you have swing belts, oh, right? right? I mean, it, it, when you had swing belts, it, you'd, you'd go in there, you'd have your warm up, all that stuff. But like, you know, fighting in the UFC also already could be a pretty stressful thing. And, um, you know, not being in that right mindset, being kind of geared up and then kind of have to be brought down again can mess with you. Um, and, and it can obviously affect your performance for sure. I can't even believe that's still happening. Yeah. Yeah. UFC listen, I'll give you a great stage. story. So, no, no way. I, I I think Dana would blow an absolute fit. <laughs> but, and that's the beauty of Dana. He's going to have things knocked down and, you know, he wants them his way. And, you know, he's got a great recipe. But uh, I'll give you a funny story. Years ago, Kenny, when, remember when we were, they were holding those fights at the, the original Hard Rock? Yeah. Did you ever fight there at the original Hard Rock? I, I did. It was in the I did indeed. Absolutely. Times, yeah. So... It's Luke Luke Como's fighting Jonathan Goulet. Was it Jonathan Goulet from Canada? Yep. The guy with the red hair, Kenny, I think. But yep. uh, he's fighting him, and they don't know when the fight's going to go on. So they said, you know, it could be here, it could be there. It could be after the main event. So we're like the last fight now. We're sitting in that tiny dressing room, and I'm like going that. You know, Goulet was more of like a wrestler. I knew Luke would outstrike him easily. And I hear something. I mean, it was out of that movie Kickboxer where the guy's kicking the pole and you just, <laughs> and it was such a, there was only a curtain separating. I'm like, this cannot be Jonathan Goulet. I mean, you knew that whatever was going on on the other side of the curtain was just, it was devastating. I could tell by the way the pads were cracking. And so I, I can't even, I go, I got to, I got to see if this is him. You know, maybe get a jump on like a strategy, something different. <laughs> I peek behind the curtain. It's Anderson Silva. I didn't even realize he hadn't fought yet. I thought it was it was just Goulet and Luke left. It was Goulet, Luke, Lieben, and Anderson Silva. And that was Anderson Silva's first fight wow. against Chris Lieben. But crazy. I mean, I did not know that that fight was like, – I didn't know if it was over. Was it? But when I heard – I do killing the pants, killing them. And I'm like, holy shit, I thought the guy was a wrestler. <laughs> this guy's striking at least sounds That's good. Hilarious. But, yeah, crazy stuff. That was a swing bout. And when uh, Drago beat Baroni, uh, 
you know, we were all in the dressing room. I had, I think it was, I was with like, we were with like four AKA guys. Uh, oh man, who was the heavyweight they had? Buentello? Uh, this is going Paul to Buentello? Buentello, yeah, Paul yeah. Buentello. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was in the, uh, he was fight i forget he'd who he's throw fight, up every but... time before fights he'd throw up every time Kenny. 10 minutes every time he's in the, the he, he's in the john he's in the bit ah! I, I mean just and i i'm looking around like everybody's <laughs> acting like it's normal i go i go is that guy all right and the guy he does this all the time yeah and so it was it was crazy but but then he ended up baroni ended up fighting uh drago after the main event so it, it's a shitty position to be in and if you're not used to it you never, uh, it, it's yeah. hard to adjust it. So that, you know, like, again, look, what I told the kid is the other guy had to go through the same thing you had to go through also. So it, it mm-hmm. kind of evens the playing field there. But if your body was ready to go and then you start cramping up, I don't care who asked, you know, yeah. maybe the other guy could deal with it better. It just, it sucked because, you know, he was coming off a loss and I knew he was fighting an undefeated guy this time, which, goes to show you what we were talking about. There's no easy matches, right? I mean, he came off a, a loss to Archie Colgan, and they give him an undefeated Russian kid. So uh, it is what it is. But you can, if you go back and watch the fight, start yeah. at the third round and work your way backwards. You'll, okay. you'll like it a yeah. lot. But whatever. That's it. No, and uh, it is sort of a, a longer conversation. Fighting's just such – a hard sport to begin with that when you inject a variable like that. And even it makes me think about during the COVID climate in the UFC, when they were spraying down the octagon and that wasn't necessarily why guys were slipping, but there were times where fighters were slipping. And I just was thinking to myself, man, I hope that this doesn't start impacting results. And it just got me thinking too, about like local MMA, regional MMA, you show up and you're fighting on like a slippery surface. There are just so many things that fighters have to deal with that are unforeseen and uh to be in a major promotion so to speak even if it was their last show and dealing with this uh nothing good about it yeah i mean that that look that's my takeaway when i was watching it unfold i was like who knows what's going to happen with bellator but they crammed as many fights as they could yeah on the card and they just didn't prepare they they, they weren't in coordination with the programming side of it they just had to go back and look at the prelims it was probably I bet you there was 18 prelims before the main card or 12 or whatever it was. It was a lot. And they looked like they just had to get guys fights before maybe something's going to go down and whatever it was, it was a business decision. But a couple of guys, the last two fights got screwed on that. Cody, can you look up how many fights there were at Bellator 300? And I will give our UFC producers a lot of credit because they do have to manage and navigate that clock. And there are times where maybe they have the liberty to bleed over, but it can be very tricky, especially when you're dealing with featured prelims leading into a pay-per-view and trying to time it perfectly. And a guy wins a big fight, right? The main event, so to speak, on the prelims, and he can't get an interview because we got to go to pay-per-view. There's a lot of difficult uh, things when it comes to producing a live event. So. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the, the UFC does do a great job. And look, as, even as a trainer, I'm always asking, when will the guy go on? Like, well, give me the, you know, right. if you want to get that, you know, you need that information so the guy doesn't warm up too soon or too late, and, you know, depending on, you know, what type of fighter you have fighting for you. But, you know, they're, they're really good. You know, it's going to be five minutes. We'll walk in five minutes after the end of this fight. You know, and they're always, I don't. I don't remember them making a mistake in years. Like, they've been dead on, you know, yeah. especially even when, when Bert was there, he was 
he had that shit nailed down, man, perfectly. So uh, they do a great job with that. But how frustrating is that when you're warming up and you're getting a sweat going, Kenny, and then you got to sit down for like two hours? Uh, you know, it, it's Not just, great. I think it's yeah. unfortunate. But again, everybody has to deal with it. And part of the game, I guess. But I, I felt bad for, well, you know, the way that unfolded. My best high school basketball games always when I threw up prior. Not that I was <laughs> anything great, but uh, played well a couple times. So, uh, I guess that's a wrap for you on the Contender Series, Dana White's Contender Series this summer. You had that's Dylan it. Montello fought September 19th, uh, was unable to get the job done. Nobody else, right? Wait, hold on. I'm thinking of you. You threw up before the basketball. Now, did you do that out of nerves or you wanted your nerves. breath to smell bad so nobody would guard you? Yeah. You had an open shot at the basket. No, it was Every nerves. Day. Oftentimes, before home games, especially night games, fighting in front of – you know, my girlfriend and all my friends and family. Right. And uh, we had this big sort of drawn out entrance with fucking hip hop music and everything. Fucking shave my head before the game. You know, <laughs> man, I thought I was something. I was nothing. I was nothing. No, that's always something. Man. Are you kidding? I got a picture around here somewhere. I don't know. If... Yeah. You don't need to see that. Uh, it's me making a uh, it's <laughs> me driving fight. to me driving to the hoop. I probably missed the fucking layup. All right. A few other things with uh, Ray Longo, the Ray Longo Minute. Every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast, on the DraftKings Network, and on the DraftKings YouTube channel, and wherever you get your podcasts. So, uh, Mataj Gamrot has been tabbed as the backup for the lightweight championship fight between Islam Akashem and Charles Oliveira. That is 11 days from right now, and this news was confirmed by Dana White fairly recently. Now, we've had a lot of different situations with backups. Some, I'd imagine, are far more prepared than others. Vicente Luque, you may recall, got like seven days notice to be a backup, and he missed weight by 12 pounds. It was the most insane circumstance for a true professional to have to deal with. So I guess I'm just curious how, as a coach, I'm going to ask Mike Brown this in 10 minutes. How do you navigate that type of circumstance, especially when it's like a, a title fight, not just a big fight or a main event, but a UFC championship fight. Like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get Gamrot to peak or just to make weight. Like, how do you navigate that as a coach? Oh, I, 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 that, that short of notice. Yeah. I mean, the he just fought fairly recently. A hundred percent. He's in a, he's in a horrible spot because to put your body through that in that short a period of time is already putting you at a disadvantage. Uh, I mean, look, man, it's all mental at that point. These guys know how to fight. And if he says he could do it and he feels comfortable doing it, then you give it a shot, man. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So you can't – you have to take the shot, I think. But that's a weird position as a coach to be in because you know the guy's going to be at a disadvantage. It just, it has to be. You know, how long ago was this fight? It was What was it, two weeks ago? A few weeks ago, and it didn't go very long. Yeah. Obviously, Rafael Fazil right. got hurt. But sometimes, too, you wonder, like, do they get the other athletes? In this case, Islam Akashev and Charles Oliveira, right? Like, they're not agreeing to separate terms to fight Mataj Gamrod. I think it's something that you deal with as a hurdle when it comes, right? If one fighter falls ill or misses weight, then you have Gamrot there, and then you go to Oliveira or Makashev and say, here are the terms. Will you fight Mataj Gamrod, even though you didn't do anything right. to prepare Look. for that particular challenge? But Gamrot Ray was a KSW world champion at 145 pounds. Like Justin Gaethje seemingly is the number one contender as the right, winner of right, that right. BMF belt. But Gaethje's not flying to Abu Dhabi to weigh in as a backup, I wouldn't think. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, uh, 
you know, uh, what, 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 what's the question again? I mean, like, no, uh, there's no question. It's a conversation. No, we no, can no. Move on. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying Gamrot's in a, in a weird spot. I don't yeah. think there's anything you could do. You don't have much time. You just hope that you can get the guy's weight down without killing him, And uh, he could perform at the best that he, you know, that, that he's going to be able to perform at. I don't think there's, you know, it doesn't become like a strategy thing at that point. You don't even have enough time. Although, you know, the good guys, you could, make adjustments on the fly and stuff. But yeah, everybody's like you say, I think everybody's in a weird position. Those guys are training to fight each other. And then if something happens, they got to get a totally new guy. I don't, you know, that's crazy too. So look from being around a lot, that's how important, like as a promoter, that's you, you don't want to see your main event can't fall apart. That's like, that's the worst possible nightmare you could have. That's going to be a call that, Dana, the, when the phone rings and it's a day before the fight, he doesn't want he doesn't want to pick up the phone. I could guarantee because he doesn't want to hear any bad news. So he wants the fight to go on as a promoter, right? And and honestly, the fight is, you know, they're they're making decent money. They're going to fight anybody. They're not going to. I don't think they're going to. You know, some guys are going to say, "Look, I didn't train to fight him. I'm not going to fight him." But I think most guys just want to fight. You know, when you get up to the championship type of fights, it, it changes, man. You, it changes if. You were like a prelim fighter and they had they wanted you to take a short notice fight, you know, because everybody's working their way up. So it's a little tricky, I think, but the show must go on. I think that's the bottom line. Lightweight title shots are so hard to come by, right? I mean, Conor McGregor could come back first quarter 2024 and knock Michael Chandler's head off. And then all of a sudden you got that problem to deal with, right? Like if you're Mataj Gamrod and you can make the weight as a fighter who has competed and realized success 10 pounds south of there at 45, you fly to Abu Dhabi, you make the weight, you make the money, and uh, you don't necessarily hope for something to go wrong with one of those guys, but you try to get as ready as possible. All right, before we let you go. Yeah. Yeah, and let me just say one other thing. Yeah. Too. I mean, I did have like a similar situation, John, with, with Aya Quinter and Khabib, right? He was training for Felder, but he trained for a three-round fight against a striker, and then he took that fight with Khabib on – you know, a 24 hour notice. And, you know, during the shakeout, yeah, we definitely, you know, Sarah was going through how to get up on some of those things. And I think Al did a great job, you know, sometimes going to his back to get up, you know, before, you know, yeah, he, you know, got stuck in that position. So they, I think uh, that was a short term thing, but Al was already an accomplished guy and everybody's on the same page. Uh, so I think we made some adjustments within 24 hours that really helped him in the fight. So, you know, it, it it all depends, but he was going to make weight anyway, so that wasn't a problem. Yeah. Uh, but the strategy and going an extra two rounds, knowing that you train for three rounds, that's why I put a lot of emphasis on. I think anybody who knows fighting that's been around, that's a fighter or a trainer, knows that what he did is not easy to do. You know, against a guy who's going to go down as the greatest lightweight of all time. Yeah. Who He's the only guy to go to distance with him since he was a champion. Uh, which is crazy, Kenny, on, on 24 hours notice, I think anyway. But, yeah. you know, I'm biased. No, as I know it, as everybody well knows on this show at this point. I think that fight, Ally Quinta versus Khabib Nurmagomedov, is not brought up nor referenced enough. And so I like that every chance you get to sort of inject it into the conversation you do. And it actually has relevance here. Yeah. It almost looks like you're wearing a toupee today. Would you shave your head to make weight, Ray? Would like I that actually my looks like weight? that might weigh <laughs> point eight. Uh, well, first, 
It depends on what weight, because trust me, shaving my head ain't going to help me make it. <laughs> what weight am I making? <laughs> I, I would I would 100% shave my head to make weight, though, yeah. yeah. All right, before we let you go, there are rumblings that Henry Cejudo has been offered a fight in January against May Rob Dwalishwili. Now, Dwalishwili is the number one contender. Seems like Sean O'Malley is not going to be seen till maybe late first quarter, 2024 or so. I mean, what are your thoughts on Marab? And do you have anything uh, informed speculation or otherwise as to his immediate fighting future? Man, I tell you, I, I, I actually don't know anything about it. I have no, you know, I, I've, I've just seen what you've seen. I haven't talked to Marab every time. I mean, I'm going to say the last time we spoke, was maybe a week ago. I could be off on that, but he said he had no news on anything. All right. Uh, but then I started seeing the Cejudo stuff. So, look, again, I think the right thing to do if I'm O'Malley's, like exactly what Al just said, give me the rematch or let the number one contender, which is Marab, fight him. And that's it, you know. But, you know, like, again, this stuff all seems easy, Kenny, right? Because didn't he call out Cheeto for December? You know? I mean, so where's that? You know, yeah. they 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 made poor Aljo fight in a couple of months. So this guy's going to get six months before. Oh yeah, you got to milk yeah. it. Got to milk the sugar show. I'd shelve him for six months. One of the biggest <laughs> stars in the promotion. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, <clears throat> I'd actually retire. How's that? Yeah, <laughs> go out, go out uh, on top. I really think his that kid'll make, kid make money no matter what he's doing. So of course he's he will. Fine either yeah. way. Yeah, and he's a really good human being too. So uh, I'm excited to. Uh, I'm really excited to see though how his career and this now sugar era plays out because we've talked now three of the last four episodes or so about that durability issue. You know, especially in this 135 pound division, right? Doesn't even matter who his next fight is. Uh, Going to be a really violent individual. Um, all right, let's let yep. Mike Brown on here and say hello to Ray Longo before we get Longo out of here. I can almost guarantee that American Top Team's Mike right. Brown does not have hair as disheveled as Raymond Peter Longo. There he is. Good to see you, Mike. <laughs> what's up, guys? Hey, Ray, what's up, man? Good to see you. I don't see him. You don't see me? There he is. Look at that <laughs> handsome guy. Good to see you, Ray. Great to see you, brother. Yeah, he's saying me. Mike, did you comb your hair just to make me look bad? Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> Falling out. It's falling out you by the dead. There you go. You, you look very well groomed. <laughs> right on. Thanks. Hey, Ray, uh, have a great day and a better evening. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, my friend. Awesome, man. Have a great time, guys. Mike, good seeing you, buddy. Good yeah, luck. Good to see you, man. And good man, to see you. Week. See you, Ray. Same here. Take it easy, guys. Uh, Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. And now, of course, with us, legendary mixed martial arts mind and coach, former WEC champion as well, Mike Thomas Brown. Mike Brown is with us. Good to see you, my man. We appreciate the time. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, always great to see Ray. This, uh, amazing guy, man, legend. He is. He best. needs to clean up his act a little bit. He had his hip replaced in uh, in August, and he it seems as though grooming, it was optional before, and now it's just not happening at all. So <laughs> oh, that's, that's so scary. The uh, <clears throat> When you start saying replacement. Replacement yeah. sounds so bad to me, and that's like I know eventually that that's that's coming for all of us. You know, we'll, no more surgeries. It'll be no. We need to replace this, and that's right, right. That's scary. How is how is your body holding up to the coaching grind specifically? Obviously, on the back end of a world class fighting career, but like, what's the worst thing on your body right now? You know, not I'm not too bad. I, I haven't had any surgery since I stopped competing. 
So for the last 10 years, I've had zero surgeries, so that's a plus, but I need one. I need like uh, my knee cleaned up. There's a, something going on with it, but you know, it's not. We'll see. All right. So obviously it's been a busy time for you, but before we get into all of the coaching stuff that sort of, I think has dominated your profile for the modern day mixed martial arts fan, you were a very accomplished fighter in your own right. And just as Kenny and I were launching MMA live at ESPN in 2008, you were becoming a star. So I'm going to take you back November 5th, 2008, WEC 36 featherweight title fight against your eye favor. You knock him out in round one, effectively, changing the course of your life, certainly your professional life. What do you remember about that time in your life, the lead up to that fight and, and that fateful night in Hollywood, Florida? Oh, no, 100% changed my life just because at the time that was the most prestigious title in the world uh, for 145 pounds. So that was the the world championship everybody was striving for. And, uh, you know, it was it was a fight that people were paying attention to before that I had, you know, 20 or so fights that there wasn't a lot of interest in, but that was the one that, that drew interest. And I got lucky at the time, I think versus network used to replay those fights all the time. So if you didn't catch it, eventually you, you ended up catching it. So I think I got yeah. a lot of exposure from, from that. And, and, and it, and it really uh, helped my career quite a bit. Did you always know that you wanted to transition to coaching? And if you didn't always know it, do you remember the tipping off point? No, I knew for a long time that's what I wanted to do. And I knew yeah. that uh, I was lucky enough to know what I wanted to do after. And I knew that I had a home. I had. I knew that American Top Team uh, was my spot. And I knew that, you know, that eventually I, I would be there in some capacity. And uh for me, it's a dream come true. This is, it's not a job, you know, every day yeah. I wake up and I, and I go hang out at the gym and I talk about fighting and I'm bullshitting with the guys and fucking around. This is, I got to pinch myself sometime. This is not a job. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate for what I do, I think. And I think Kenny and I certainly can lean into a lot of that gratitude, but it's not quite as jobless as what you do. You know, I think there's just the nature of what we do, I think, is such that it doesn't feel quite as jobless. But to hear you describe that is really cool. And you are richly deserving of that reality. Um, I wish we had a different UFC main event result to discuss. Obviously, we had Grant Dawson on the show last week. Uh, his fight with Bobby Green lasted just 33 seconds. Seemed like you and Tiago Alves. And I know your time is limited in terms of the athletes you can work with. But when Grant aligned with American Top Team, you and Tiago were certainly eager to work with him. Um what are your thoughts on Grant so far under your roof and ultimately the results over the weekend? Grant Dawson is a monster. Like this result blew my mind and it shows me it's the sport always surprises me. Right. Just when you think, you know, what's going on, you, you have no idea what's going on, but no, this guy is so good, so talented and has improved leaps and bounds since he's, since he's joined the team. Uh, a monster. This guy truly is like one of yeah. the absolute best guys I've ever seen on the ground. His 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 stand up is solid and improving all the time. Uh, he's he's actually pretty decent in stand up, but like on the ground, good luck getting away from this guy. He is an absolute monster, and uh, 
you know, I, I truly, I had hundred percent faith in them, but it just shows how crazy the sport is. This, you know, it's, it's the MMA math is insane and, and never works quite right. And all it takes is one punch or one sub and, and anyone can win on any, on any night. But this kid is extremely talented and has a, a bright future. And I, I think he'll be, uh, I, I do truly believe he'll be champion one day. Uh, what was the conversation after the fight, Mike? Um, and, and how do you kind of get him back on track? Or was Grant already kind of, hey, listen, this was something that just kind of fluke accident that happened. Uh, I'm good to go. You know, it's it's always a rough fight night when that stuff happens, right? It's it's not it's not a good night. Um, but he was as as uh, as good as one could be, I think. Like I, you know, every time I. I would say, hey, you know, it's one punch is in and and he was quick to like, yep, yep, I know, I know this yep, one punch. He like was very he of course it stung, but I think he realizes that, you know, that doesn't determine who the better fighter is, and it happens to everybody. And and he said something that I, I appreciate and that I and I like his mindset. He says, you know, I, I didn't get in the sport to become to be undefeated. I I came in this uh, I'm in this sport. To, I came in the sport to become a world champion for one night. That's at least one night. That's what mm. my goal is. And this does not change that. And he, and he's like strong-minded and he has stood by that. And, um, he, he was, he, he's, he's mentally tough and I, and I think he, he's totally fine. Michael, one thing I've always been curious about, teams like American Top Team, where you have so many fighters, so many great coaches, how does it all work as far as what fighters you work with and which ones you don't? Is it the fighters going up to you? Is it you guys picking? Is it determined from a higher power? How, how does that work? We allow the, the athletes to choose. Gotcha. The, the, the athletes choose the, the coaches that they want to work with. And, and we have a, okay. uh, a monster staff you know, the, the, the biggest coaching staff in the world, I'd, I'd say, yeah. uh, elite coaches, many of them, Dan has put together a monster team and, uh, it's, it's up to the, the athlete to choose who, who they want. And, and we have wrestling, kickboxing, MMA, uh, BJJ, you know, whatever you, your style is, you know, we, we have somebody great in that, in that field. And, uh, we, it's working very well. Mike Brown with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast on Instagram. It is at Mike Brown MMA. Is it fair to say Mataj Gamrod is one of your star pupils? I think that's fair to say. Yes. hundred percent. All right. So it has been confirmed by UFC president Dana White that he will be the backup for the lightweight title fight at UFC 294. That is 11 days from right now. And I guess I'm curious what that means for you in terms of your life and how you navigate news like that when it comes down the pike with not much notice. You know, I'm on a, like a holding pattern right now. Right. Um, uh, uh, I'm cir- I'm circling the airport, you know, right. wait, waiting to land if, if we can, uh, if anything happens ready to, ready to jump on a flight to Abu Dhabi. Wow. But, uh, Gamera is another monster who's a, a crazy hard worker, crazy strong mind and uh, a talented guy. Uh, it's crazy how deep we are at that weight. Lightweight is oh. is our our probably deepest weight. Many many high level guys in the top 
10, 15 or 20. And, uh, dude, he's knocking on the door. He, he's right there. And I think style wise, he, he matches up very well with both of those guys. His, yeah. his, his grappling is top notch. His wrestling is top notch and conditioning top notch striking and footwork is great. He, uh, he wants, he won the, a few years back, and a lot of people don't know this, but he won the ADCC European trials uh, in, in submission grappling. This is not easy to do. There's many, many yeah. competitors in there. He's a, he's a high-level sub-grappler, right, with also very strong wrestling. So looking with uh, Oliveira or Makachev, he, he can grapple with, with either of those guys quite fine. And those are a couple of big lightweights, Michael. You might want to get a flight to Abu Dhabi, but of course we hope that doesn't happen for, uh, for those athletes. So uh, a few more minutes here with the great Mike Brown back in late July. And I think I might've texted you, but a lot of us were thinking about you as you navigated this circumstance in which three of your highest profile guys were competing on the same weekend, Dustin Poirier, Kyoji Horiguchi, Danny Sabatello. And I know, I think in conversation with me, you said just, the longevity and the nature, longstanding nature of your relationship with Poirier kind of made that decision for you. Um, but how often do you find yourself in that predicament where you're having to sort of be in one place and not another? It doesn't happen a lot, but once or twice a year, we come across that where it's we have to, you know, to choose. But we we have a big staff. You know, we always have for for every fighter two or three coaches that are that are going with with a guy so if i'm not with a fighter somebody else will be right yeah it's uh um mako Cattell, yeah and you know we have a long list of coaches right and uh they'll be always well taken care of uh but you know sometimes you i try to go with the 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 athlete that has seniority that's been there longer is typically my right, right. choice. And I know you're a diplomatic guy, but I also know your chips in the center of the table on Danny Sabatello. And I know that's a big fight. And, you know, I know maybe this isn't the platform for you to just say how deeply disappointing it was for you to not be there, especially when he actually loses the fight. But what can you tell us about Danny? I was there in 2019 for his fourth pro fight in West Palm Beach, Florida. I became a fan that night. Um, future of Bellator, perhaps a little bit uncertain, but I know you're bullish on this kid. 100%. I, uh, his, his, well, his, this, this is a big one. His next one. He's got the rematch with Stotts, which uh, was a very close fight. You know, this was a coin toss, this last one. A lot of people mm -hmm. thought he won. You know, I don't want to be say what I thought and throw my biased opinion in, but it was a, a very close fight, right? And uh, we're going to find out in six weeks or five weeks or, or whatever it is um, how good he is. He he's he is super talented. Maybe the best conditioning I've ever seen in any athlete. Monster wrestler, monster mindset, and uh, I really think he can uh, compete with any any bantamweight in the world. Any any uh organization this guy is is a monster talent and yeah yeah and conditioning i think is the most important attribute you can have as an athlete as a as a fighter and he's literally got the best conditioning i've ever seen of anybody he's mm. just gifted that way yeah and, you know pressure you know breaks people and that's what he can do
Yeah. I love when fighters talk about cardio. You know, Ian Machado Gary, for all of his bravado, he always tells us cardio is his main weapon and his number one weapon. So it's an uh, important one. Yeah. The most. Uh, all right. Before we let you go, what are your thoughts on the weight class future for Dustin Poirier? Certainly, it seems like he has kind of mastered getting down to 55 or 56. Um, but would you like to see him take a super fight of sorts at 70? And uh, do you have any opinion on all of that? I mean, absolutely. He, he can fight at both. He definitely can. He's, I think the biggest problem is the length. You know, sometimes he's concerned about, the, he's not worried about power or strength. But sometimes the, the longer guys, it can be an issue with striking. But he he spars most of the time with welterweights in our gym. Yeah. Right? Like that's usually who we have to put him with just because he's he's heavy-handed and, and can be rough sometimes in, in the sparring. Right. So you, we usually have to give him welterweights. He, he doesn't spar with a lot of lightweights, to be honest. And Yeah. Uh, with other world-class welterweights, he does just fine. So I know he can do it, but probably his optimal weight is, is lightweight, but he definitely can fight out at welterweight without a doubt. All right, you can find him on Instagram at Mike Brown MMA. I know you're on the back end of sparring on a Tuesday here after sparring day at American Top Team Tuesday and Thursday. So we appreciate you hopping on for a few minutes. And uh, we look forward to seeing you rebuild Grant Dawson. We really believe in that kid as well. Maybe rebuild is actually the wrong verb, but uh, I hope he flips the page quickly. Literally one punch, right? It's, it's hard to take yeah, from that. Yeah. He literally got hit with one punch in this fight. So oh. it's it's... It's hard to tell. Uh, but don't you think, though, like there are going to be people who criticize maybe the fight ending moment or the lack of desperation maybe in that moment. I'm not going to do it, obviously, as a non-fighter. But don't you think that there's so much to be gained? I mean, you sort of touched on it off the top. Like if he finds himself in this next situation, maybe my mind is simplistic, but I think his body language will be more urgent. I know he didn't see the shot coming, but I think he'll learn from this and be different in a potential fight ending moment in the future. I mean, of course, uh, but it was so fast and it was one punch. And, and and I always say this, you know, early, the first two minutes, it's the punches are coming up the hardest. There's a lot of nervous energy in there. Guys are yeah. throwing with like kind of scared energy. So the power's at the max. Huh. If you get hit early, that's when you're most apt to get hurt. I mean, you got hurt when you went down, yeah. that happens. And then yeah. Green did a... a a good job following up. He he did. He hit him very quickly right after, and then you know, then Grant was was out, you know, or, or yeah. pretty damn close to it. He he knew he was in big trouble, and yeah. um, that happens. But it's, it that's going to happen. You that's the that dangerous first yeah. minute. Yeah. It's a crazy game you all play. I'm glad to be on the outside looking in at Mike Brown MMA. Outstanding coach at American Top Team. Really appreciate you carving out a few minutes, brother. And uh, always, we always have time for the Mainer. We look forward to seeing you uh, on the road soon, my man. Thanks for the time. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. See you. American Top Team's Bye. Mike Brown with us today on the Anakin Florian podcast. And, uh, you know, one question that I did not ask of Michael because I didn't think that the question would bear fruit is how hard do you take these losses as a coach? Right. And I'd imagine, especially for the high profile fighters, like you can imagine what it's like walking back to the locker room with Dustin Poirier after he beats Conor McGregor versus when he loses to Justin Gaethje. Thrill versus agony. We talk about it all the time. But in this particular instance, Grant Dawson potentially on the cusp of 
legitimate title contention. And then all of a sudden, this does force you to hit the reset button for the next two years to build him back up. Like, that's the fact of the matter. I wonder how hard the coaches take that loss at this stage of a career that is crescendoing and then it sort of hits a pause. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even if you just have that coach fighter relationship, it could weigh heavy on you. Um, you know, not to mention the amount of time that you spend with these guys, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I know I could speak from my experience when Ryan Hall lost and I was in his corner. I mean, it, I feel like I lost, you yeah, know, I, yeah. I, I really do. So it, it can be very difficult. I, I have more than just a coach's relationship with him. He's, he's one of my best friends, but it, yeah, it, it it's really difficult for a coach to take, you know, it, certainly I think it's way easier to go in there and fight than it is to, to corner, you know? So, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you to Mike Brown. Thank you to Joe Pfeiffer. Thanks to the great Ray Longo. We are right back with you in about 48 hours. We will have a full preview with predictions. UFC Fight Night, Yusuf versus Barboza coming up at the UFC Apex this Saturday night. Thank you to our executive producer, Cody Merrow. If you want more on the show, anticloriumpodcast.com. A lot of different merchandise is coming down the pike, including this one right here. Not available yet, but it's coming. Stay tuned for that. One more sleep merch is yours at millions.co. Also, be sure to tech, check out Argus Integrated Defense and Kenny Florian Martial Arts.com. With that, for Kenny Florian, I'm John Anik. We will talk to you in about 72 hours. Until then, go ahead. I'm a stutter verse, I break at least three commandments Kinda like Pluto because I never plan it I'm outlandish in the way that make the patches look Like they own ranches, it's the art of war Your blood's the only color on the canvas And I don't mean it like a thug sense of how you can get got Fuck being gangsta, I'm hip-hop You got it every time you walk in the label The A&R's like, not it, immune to your shit Cause I circle, circle, dot, dot it Body heat is a toxic, we got a beat, I don't got it Speak competency, start to think psychically Make the speakers speak elitistly Off the high horse, make the asses they use Your DJ must not know the alphabet for getting his cues My favorite DJ got the and six extra L's to abuse Esoteric John P And I'm the new kid at school I'm Raider Ellis Nice to meet you Show busting my styles Egocentric Ego tripping with Frequent fly smiles DJ wants to get in the bird He gets in the bird And bird Takes the shot He's You gonna sit it on us We got commandos on us Now's a good time to remember Where the story of tequila started In 1795 The first tequila distillery Was opened by the Cuervo family and 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.